got to give credit to my teammates for first and foremost, but also, you know, it's just like I said, it's me growing, understanding that, you know, you don't have to just go get it every chance you, you can. You know, understand letting the game come to you. I started off slow. I wasn't mad at any of the, the looks I got. I wasn't, you know, it was just shots that just didn't fall, you know, and they'll fall. Cause I take those reps. I take those same shots I missed today are the ones I practiced a thousand times between the summer and now. So just continue to take those shots. And that's the biggest thing. You know, if you stop shooting them, then it's like you don't trust the work that you put in. And never that. I think it's just understanding your game and doing other things, offensive rebounding, you know, trying to find guys and assist, create pass ahead, push the pace, you know, little things that uh, ignite the team and, you know, guys around you will, will follow. When you go to your next Jazz game, visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. There are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, foosball tables. You can enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. There's Donovan Mitchell after the Jazz win the season opener. They beat Oklahoma City. That's good advice. You know, I think I'm going to do that from now on. Just let the show come to me. <laughs> what does it say about PK that he would let the show come to him after all these yeah. years? Uh, just brilliance, individual brilliance, self awareness, humility, the usual characteristics I possess. Humility, first and foremost. Oh, no question. I'm very humble. Well, first and foremost, it's an academic endeavor. But May you rest in peace. Then but it's yes. about humility. Yeah. All right, you're ready for a new segment. Game one is in the books. What does it say? What does it say? What does it say about that game? Are we limiting this to the jazz? No. Or do we get to widen this out to the entire world of sports? Well, we're speaking jazz. I mean, I would say the league, the opponent, the standings. I mean, the Jazz already, they're locking a duel for the Northwest Division Championship with Denver. Denver with a quality road win to open the season. Right. Went to Phoenix and beat the Suns. In a sense, they've got the lead on us. (laughs) They do. Jazz took the gimme at home against Oklahoma City. Right. Clearly in rebuilding mode. Well, that's typical Denver. They're not going to duck anybody anytime. (laughs) Anybody, anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Jazz taking the easy way out again. What does it say about that Jazz win? The whole experience. I got one. I got a good one. Quinn cracked me up when he sat down there and they asked him about Jared Butler. And he said, you guys have asked me more questions about Jared Butler in the preseason than you asked Rudy and Donovan combined. About Rudy and Donovan combined. And I thought about that as I was watching on the Zoom after the ball game. I thought, and Quinn made note of it. I don't know if he was perturbed or what, if he just pointed it out, because he pointed out, but I don't know if it got under his skin a little bit, because obviously Butler was hyped up. I mean, he threw up an air ball, the first shot, I think, in front of the Jazz bench, and it was 0 for 5. Uh, And they want to know about because Butler has been getting so much run and then he puts up a goose egg in his first real game that counts, that goes down as recorded for time and all eternity, as you guys say. And I'm thinking, what does it say that one of the questions is about Jared Butler? And I think it says we're a really good team. The media is always looking for some fresh angles. What do you, the core of the team is back. Yeah, so what are you going to... Well, okay, you hammered a lousy team like you're supposed to. You did exactly the way you're supposed to and what you're supposed to. And so to me, by asking about Butler being 0-5, you're looking for some fresh angles, right? Whoever you're... If you're a print person, uh, electronic, it doesn't matter. 
and Jared Butler is a fresh story. So you're not going to say, man, what does it say? Donovan's in a shooting slump already. Well, that's stupid. No, no one's going to say that, right? And he talked about, we just heard Donovan coming back. You know, he missed some shots that he normally makes. Nobody cares. So you're looking for something fresh, and Jared Butler who was a nice, fresh story in a preseason, goes 0 for 5. So what does it say about the Jazz that people are asking Quinn Snyder about Jared Butler's 0 for 5? It says the Jazz are really good because you got these players over here who've been around for a good while, and they played well enough to just blow away this lousy team. So that's why we're talking about Butler because we're not. Well, Rudy Gobert had 24, 21 rebounds. I'm not going to ask if Rudy Gobert can rebound because he can. He had 21 boards. I'm not going to ask if Jordan yeah. Clarkson can come off the bench, yeah. put the ball in the bucket, exactly. give you instant offense. That's what he, had, he does. He had 18 points off the bench in 27 minutes. He looked Nobody like blinks. he was in midseason form. I'm not going to ask if Joe Ingles can still shoot threes. Yeah. Four of seven, 57%. Right. right. Exactly. So that's guess, why they're asking about so Jared Butler, because the other guys are all proven commodities. Right. There's two other guys to ask about, and that would be Rudy Gay, who you can't really ask about because he's not playing yet. Well, there's nothing to ask new. about. And then Pascal. What, what's he going to give him? And what is his role, and where does he fit? A bench guy. I don't know that he's going to have a role. Well, so is Butler. Yeah, but Butler looks like he's going to have a role. He does. And partly that's just because of who you're playing behind. Because right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of the deal. Right. I get it. It's yeah, Conley. Exactly. Conley isn't going to play right. 35 minutes Pascal in Pascal would play games. that position. He might be getting it, but he doesn't. Exactly. Butler plays right. that position, and Conley, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So, it looks like, and, and Forrest is out himself, right? So Concussion. It, lo- it looks Concussion like protocol. this young fellow is going to have a role, right? So, that was a natural question. And what does it say that the question was asked says that everybody else is all set and ready to go. This is just a continuation. They haven't played since uh, June, but not a whole lot's changed since June from those guys who played on the team. You got some new guys who haven't played. Yeah, but even the white side question's a little limited. I mean, we think we know who he is. Which, to me, that's my second thing that I took. What does it say about the Jazz game? The thing, the, the number one thing that I like the most about the game, the first and foremost, number one, is on one possession, white side early in the game, blocked two shots. And the crowd loved it. Because they all had a question you had. And we know his production dropped off big time. Now, so did his playing time in Sacramento. Is that the one-year anomaly? Or, back to your point earlier in the show about favors, Everybody loses it at some point. With the injuries, he's been robbed of his athleticism a lot earlier than most guys. It happens to everybody, but it's happening to him quicker. So is it happening to Whiteside, or Whiteside was in Sacramento, it's dysfunctional, and he'll go back to being some version, at least 80% of Miami-Portland Whiteside. Oh, I take that right now. I don't need that. I mean, I don't need he more than that. He averaged double digits in rebounds every year in Miami, and the one year he was in Portland, he actually had a career high, 13 and a half. Came out and got pretty much a board every other minute he was on the floor, which is a good rate to rebound at. One game against an overmatched opponent. But nonetheless, that's all he's had to show so far. Well, I want to see him block shots. Because rebounding to a degree, you need some other people. 
I mean, if you're getting wide open shots and the, the perimeter guys aren't defending them, well, there's probably not going to be a rebound. <laughs> Uh, you're going to be taking the ball out of the basket. But if you can block shots, because if you block shots, not only can you block the shot, but you can intimidate the shot, you can prevent the shot, you can cause hesitancy in the shot, doubt in the shot. And once a player has doubt, it's as good as missing. So a block shot is nice on the surface, but there's so much more that goes into a shot blocker's ability to be effective without actually blocking the shot. Nobody, nobody wants their shot blocked. Nobody. You don't want to get dunked on, but at least if you're dunked on, you're trying to block a shot. You're trying to put up some resistance. You're not just taking the easy way out. But nobody wants their shot blocked. And he blocked two in one possession. And I thought that was the number one most awesome thing about that ball game last night against a lousy team. That was the thing that got me most excited was him blocking two shots in the same possession. Well, there wasn't a lot to get you excited, so if that's what you held on to. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. I, I went upstairs and told my wife, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Son White said block two shots. Yeah, same possession. As soon as the first stoppage in play, I went up and told her. block shots. Yeah, two block shots. That's what they need. That's exactly what they need out of him. That's why he's here. And Locke will give you the stats and all and how the defense and everything falls off the face of the earth, basically, when Gobert goes and sits down. That was true last year. Yeah. So you're trying to minimize that. You're never going to replace that and have it be equal or better because he's just that good. But you want to minimize that as much as possible. And Whiteside had two block shots. What does it say? Jared Butler being asked questions is great news. What does it say about Whiteside? Yeah, he blocked a couple of shots. Precisely what I want to see. I high-fived the air because nobody else was watching with me. The solo high-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very I, rare. But I don't have a lot of hardcore jazz fans in my household. <laughs> I only got two other people. One couldn't care less. The other one would uh, be interested in postseason. 81 to go, and then we'll be there. Yeah, and the quest for, for, for perfection is on. You can get your T-shirts. I'm going to have them at the plaza here. That'll be good for about a week. Mm-hmm. I got DJ's picture on it, too. If that. So, you know, I want to entice the ladies to buy it. So I put the sex symbol on there, the Channel 2 sex symbol. Oh, you should hear what the Channel 2 people say about you and your sexiness, man. Uh, off the charts. Uh. <laughs> when you come in. Oh, okay, so just stop. And you're carrying your brown suit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfectly good segment until about 45 seconds ago. What does it say about this segment that PK's gone to this? You got any what's it it says? This was this was preseason 2.0. I thought the fans were so into it, but watching the game, it just smacked of two teams who both knew that this thing was going to be a 20-point game. What, what did that game say about either team? It said the Jazz are one of the best teams in the league, and it's just a matter of how many ping-pong balls uh, Oklahoma City is going to have at the end of the year. Yeah, but the problem with that is that we didn't need the game to already know that. Right. I completely agree. 
It was it was the Dennis Green game. They are who we thought they were. But I did not know Hassan Whiteside was going to block two shots in one possession, and I did not know that Jared Butler was going to go 0 for 5. In fact, I would have bet against both of those happening. Sure. I can see that. Whereas I would have bet, and we and I don't bet NBA, but if I did, I don't bet anything for you that matter. Predicted. I would have bet a large amount of money that the Jazz were going to win comfortably. Right. Basically, however many points they wanted to win by. And Ingles and Clarkson and Gobert came out, and well, and Bogey for that matter too, and they were who we thought they were. They did what they do. Yeah, it was, it was like just they were just extension right of out. last right. season. Yeah. But the game was sloppy. The game was ragged. Yeah. And it didn't matter. And everybody knew it didn't matter. I didn't even pay attention to that. It was no more ragged than I thought it was going to be. They only played two preseason games. I mean, I know they had four, but the rotation guys only played in two. So it'll be interesting to see if it's a little sharper in Sacramento. It's the first game. I don't Denver want it to be sharp. Three. I didn't, I didn't want Donovan Mitchell to hit shots. Why not? Because I don't need him to. Well, that's true. You don't. You didn't. Shooting is a law of numbers. Thanks, Matt. And so, what do I you know? I, what, why do I need him to go eight of eleven from three like Harrison Barnes did? No, home against the this G League glorified G League team. No, absolutely not. Brick away, Donnie basketball, and save it for when it, we we really need it. This is that's Quinn Snyder. No one even, no one batted an eyelash, and he missed a few shots. So what? I did think watching Oklahoma City, the old uh, baseball expression, quadruple A. You know, you're in the majors, but you're a mediocre player on a bad team, and you can look at the payrolls at the start of the year and rule out five or ten teams pretty easily. And those are quadruple A teams. Feels like this is the NBA version of quadruple A. They got draft picks. It's a rebuild. It's a multi-year deal. They got a couple nice players that everybody would take on their team. If they were available right now, there would be a line out the door to get a couple of these guys. But after that, it's a bunch of question marks. Agreed. The Jazz are plenty good enough to handle teams that have two good players and a bunch of question well, marks. I think they're plenty good enough to handle any team. When you're of this level, it's not about the opponent. Now Quinn's going to have you talk to the team. Because I think that's a message he wants well, to you send know I over and over. Already, <laughs> I there's not I a lot. Know. I don't tell you everything. I think I would know. PK <laughs> will now address the team. <laughs> Come on, man! I don't tell you everything. I mean, like you don't tell me everything. You knew for weeks I was getting canned at Channel Two, and you didn't tell me. No, I really didn't. You let me just die on the vine. That's not what happened, and you know it. Check your tax. My tax returns. Your tax. Okay, I got a text. I don't, uh, I don't have any. <sighs> From the week when it happened. Oh. That'll give you something to do during the break. Well, yeah, what? you said, yeah. You told Fox, man, I'm glad he's gone. Nope. <laughs> when we come back. But don't you think, though, before we go, that it is all about the Jazz going forward? That them? Yes. How it, well it does doesn't matter play? who they play. Anybody in the league. Well, it does matter because matchups matter. You have to account for players. Right. So that matters. It does. Ma- so okay, but it is. I'll mostly, amend that. It, it does matter but to it's an extent. Mostly about how they play. 
But they're good enough how dialed at their in. best, I believe, right. to beat anyone. And how dialed in are they? And are they at their best? And they are not dialed in yet this year. Nor did they need to be in game one. And I don't want, nor do I want them to be. This is a long road. We will talk to Joe Ingles about that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. We've got to take a break right now. And when we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, and a guy who just watched the team go through a midseason coaching change unexpectedly. Maybe he can give us a little clue of uh, what Washington State might look like going through a midseason coaching change of their own. Lincoln Kennedy, next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 7. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Gentlemen, good morning to you and all your listeners. How you doing? Good. Uh, you and Brent Musburger cracked me up again. Underrated <laughs> comedy duo. So the Raiders throw a uh, screen pass to Jacobs, oh. and he picks up 20, 25 yards, whatever it was. Good play. And Brent immediately pivots from describing the play to your reaction. And you're quiet which I love about you not jumping in because I can hear Brent and I know what's going he's on. Pro. Yeah, you're pro. You don't scream over him when he's bright, and I love that. And he's like, and my, and my man Lincoln is celebrating. He's wanted them to run that play for at least three years now, and it worked. And you're like, there'll be time to get into that later. Right now we got a game to get through, and they're coming back to the line of scrimmage. So I take it that with a new play caller and with the coaching change, there have been – I don't know how many changes. How significant was a play-calling change? Because certainly both of you, it was clearly an inside joke in the broadcast booth. Right. Well, I, you know what? You know what, what's funny about that is the moment it happened, I stood up and I had my headset on and I started clapping. I started celebrating. The play wasn't even over. Jacobs wasn't even tackled yet. He was. I was like, finally, they finally ran a damn screen play because they needed help to help protect their their line and their quarterback from rushes, aggressive rushers. And it's been something that I've been calling for for this for this team for years, a draw and screen game. And so when I finally saw it, I was just like, oh my gosh, oh, I got to stand up and clap. So that's that's where the whole the whole thing was running. But you know the. the the, the main difference between the way Olsen and Derek, I, I do believe they're working in, in tandem, um, Derek Carr, have been doing this, uh, and there's only been one game, so we don't really have a, a, a huge sample size, but they've, uh, you know, they've come up and they figured out, Derek Carr has a, a pretty good control of the check with me system. There are a lot of times where Olsen or, or Gruden, when he was calling plays, would give Derek two options. He would call him in a huddle. And he would go to the line and check with check with them, check with me. And um, so he's ran that part, um, and he's still doing that. And I, I just think that I, I think Derek is even more so because to realize the weapons that he has at his disposal. Um, 
it's not always the focus on Darren Waller or trying to run Josh Jacobs, you know, trying to get him uh, you know, open up and involved in stuff like that. So the possibility of using all the, all the weapons on the Raiders has really helped them. And, again, we only have one sample size, and that was the game in Denver, but they seem pretty, pretty efficient and effective throughout the day. I think just a personal commentary on your on your job as an analyst. I think the best thing about you is you're there to analyze, not cheerlead one way or the other. Right. And so that's why you're effective because you 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 you're just not there to put on the pom poms, uh, <laughs> and, and you know you're there to do a job, and that's what you do. Uh, six games. I'm still trying to figure out the Raiders in terms of how how for real are they, and I don't know that I really have the answer yet. It's a good question. Um... I still think we're trying to learn it as well, especially analysts and people who watch them uh, every game. Uh, look, I think the best thing that happened for them uh, amongst the distractions and all the turmoil that happened last week around Gruden was that they could go out there and play. Because I do believe coaches coach and players play. And when it comes to most, most programs, um, you know, when you have something that happens off the field, you try to put it behind you so you can go on the field and do what you do best or whatever arena you are and the way you play it. So I think it was a good outing. It was a solid outing. I mean, the Raiders were up, you know, what, 30, 31 to 10 or something like that for, for a while before they, the Broncos made it a little bit more interesting. Um, but it was, a, it was a good, solid showing that they're capable. Now, to answer your question, I think this is a good team, and I think this is a good team because for the main the main reason this is a good team because Gus Bradley has brought a defensive mind, and now the Raiders can play defense. Trust me when I tell you, it's been a long time since I've said that. More years than I can count and remember, I was saying the Raiders have to outscore opponents, you know, by you know a large sum of points, and and last year they were absolutely horrible. I think they were giving up probably close to 27 points per game. Um, but, you know, this year is a lot different. So the fact that they're, they're able to play defense gives them a stronger outing, a stronger chance. Now, I'll say this. I don't think they're a championship-caliber team. I don't think they're a team that's going to go to the Super Bowl. But I do think they are a playoff-caliber team. And you know, that is what it is. So once you get to the playoffs, once you get in, then anything can happen. Well, it's funny you say that because that is exactly what I was going to say is I thought they are a playoff contender – more likely playoffs than not, but I would not guarantee that they're a playoff team. There's still some flaws there, and it can still Certainly. go wrong. And there's no way I see them getting to the Super Bowl. There's some teams that just look to me like they're better than the Raiders. So the Raiders can get in, yeah. and now whether they last one or two games, but I wouldn't think anything longer than that. Any one game, anything happened, and they're good enough right. to win. Um, but I do wonder how much the coaching change in the middle of the year wrecks, because I've thought that of them for you know the, the first month of the season, but right. I wondered if the coaching change wrecks all that, or do you think that even though it's already been a week, guys are kind of past that, or are there going to be problems popping up? I, I think guys are past it, and, and the reason why is because Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach, is a, and has experience throughout the league and been around the league many years. The team well respects him. The coaches respect him. Um, the other coaches. And what Basachi has done is Basachi has allowed Gus Bradley to run his 25 guys on defense and Greg Olson to run his 25 guys on offense. And he's still running his special teams. So there hasn't been a shakeup. There hasn't been a sort of transition of power, if you will, because the only thing that's really changed right now with the dynamic of this team is who's calling the plays. 
John Gruden was the play caller when he was there, and you knew that he would never relinquish that as long as he was head coach. But now that he's not there, now there's a there's a combined effort between Olsen and Derek Carr, um, and and it gives Derek a little bit more of an input into how to call the player game plans that he wants to see. And they've been able to utilize a lot of guys, and even in the last game, you saw Kenyon Drake have a big game, finally getting in place uh, to do things what he can do well. You, you didn't necessarily see that when uh, when John Gruden was at the, was calling the plays. So by definition, these guys are pros, right? It's what they yeah. do, and it doesn't really matter on the sidelines who's doing what to them anyway. They've got a right. job to do. They're getting paid to do it, and they go out and do it to the best of their ability, and that's just the way it is, right? So you have the situation in Washington State, and uh, BYU plays them this week. These guys right. are college kids. Different circumstances involving the departures of the coach, right. but nevertheless, the result is still the same, and maybe even more so because they had some assistants that left too. I think four assistants combined yeah. with Rolovich. So, how do you think these players? And they're on a, a pretty good run here. They've won three in a row. They've gotten to lower back, and he's he's a playmaker and a gunslinger and all that type of stuff. Uh, kind of a you know a little poor man's college version of Brett Favre. The way I look at him when I watch him play, I love to watch him play. Uh, but I'm wondering, how do you think this football team at the college level responds to this situation because it is different from the NFL level. I, I think there's a little bit more level of uncertainty um, that that is going to be left from Wazoo's um, uh, and team and coaching staff. The fact that they lost basically five coaches, head coach and four assistants, um, is a pretty pretty big hole. Now, I, you know, I, I know the defensive coordinator is going to take over, but when it comes to play calling, when it comes to just their overall, uh, I guess if you're if you're a Cougar right now, you're thinking about where where are you going to if you should stay, if you should look into the transfer portal, what you should do, or more importantly, because as you mentioned, they're a decent team, they they've got a winning record so far. You don't want to just watch the season. So there's a there's a greater level of uncertainty. It'll be interesting to see how they play. Um, you know, uh, Wazoo has had had some flaws. Obviously, I've covered them a couple of times and, and seen this team a couple of times. But I do think they have some strengths that they can work on. But it'll be interesting to see how they play through this, the midst of the, the, the distractions and stuff they've had to go through. So you played at Washington, and that means you're going to follow Oregon and Washington State. you got an in-state rival, and Washington and Oregon have had a thing for years, so that's great. And then there's Oregon State, the fourth team in that quad. But they're running the ball really well. They yeah. lead the Pac-12 in rushing yards. And you're a lineman. I know you respect that. You were an O-lineman oh, yeah. back in the day. So they're 4-2, they're 2-1, and one, they're tied in the North lead. How much of a problem are they going to be for Utah? I think they're going to be a big problem for Utah. I think that if Utah's not careful, I think Utah's a better team overall. They should win this game, but if they're not careful, Oregon State can sneak up and get them. Because, look, Oregon State's secondary is pretty damn good. I think a lot of those guys are going to be playing on Sundays uh, in, the compute, in the near future. But the fact that they can control the ground game and control the clock and time possession by running the ball, it may, means Utah's got to watch out. Oregon State's a good football team. All right. Well, uh, how about uh, Utah? You think they've found their mojo now? I mean, to make the quarterback change, and, and yeah. they haven't lost since. And, and he came in the second half and had the great comeback against the Aztecs, but they lost that game, as we know. But since then, it, for whatever reason, and, and they've just looked totally different. Is uh, that something? Yeah. Well, yeah. For I mean, it is something that that that, that they do look different. And I've thought highly of Utah, you know, all this season. We've talked all this year. Uh, and and I, I felt that they had turned the corner. 
I was pleased to see the watch that game against ASU and, and stuff like that and see that they're, they're, they're coming around. I think this is a strong team. I think this is a year that they can, you can definitely, uh, and they've got so much to play for. I mean, really, honestly, they're, they're a team within themselves. Of course, we know about the tragedies and losses that happened off the field um, with the, the players, but for the most part, you know, this team has been able to stick together amidst the distractions and the quarterback change and everything else and play good football. I really do think this is a good football team, and I expect them to go far. Do you buy into trap games and look at schedules and all that because they're coming off a big home win over ASU, which followed a big road win over SC? Right. They got UCLA coming in yeah. right after the in between. They got to go to Oregon State. Yeah. So, so the the big thing that I've often told people when it comes to college football is just it's almost impossible to keep an emotional high point. For the, the for the level of these these young men, and what I mean by that is everybody was a schedule watcher. Doesn't matter who you are. When the schedule comes out, you look. Oh my gosh, we got SC, we got ASU, and and then you're you're grading opponents, you're judging opponents, and you tend to have an emotional roller coaster when it comes to. Oh, well, I got to get up for ASU because we we struggled with that team, but Oregon State, man, we should handle them. They they haven't been anything. Um, that's the hardest thing about college football, and that's what the the, the toughest thing about Coach Whittingham is going to have to do with his guys is make sure that you talk up every opponent. That's what Don James did when I played for him. He talked up every opponent. Didn't matter what the win record was. He was like, if, if Oregon State hadn't won a game to that point, um, this is a caged animal. Don't allow them to beat you. All that stuff. So um, it's, it's really difficult to get guys emotionally high and not overlook uh, teams. And usually, you know, you'll, you'll see it on game day when, it got, when the team comes out and jumps on you, and you're like, whoa, whoa, okay, let's wake up. we got to find a way to get back into this game. And you're hoping that it's not that far. I'm saying Oregon State's a good football team. I do believe they're, 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 they're ones who are going to win the North. But I also think that, you know, Utah is a good football team that's going to win the South. I can see these two teams playing each other in the Pac-12 championship. So this is a big game coming up. A team in your town down there in, in Phoenix, really, and I'm, a, I'm an issue grad, so maybe I have a little yeah. bit more interest, but just, just completely I'm embarrassed for them and disappointed <laughs> with the repeated penalties. Right. Who's to blame? Um, you know what? I, that's a great point, question. Um, I know Herm Edwards personally, and I cannot see that he is not rolling over night, sleepless nights. Uh, and thinking about these penalties, it is ridiculous. Um, undisciplined. You just don't normally see that out of a Herm Edwards team. I, I, I think it's just a lack of accountability. And, and the fact is they're not doing enough off the field or on other days like on practice and stuff like that to, to, to get it right. Because these penalties are really, I agree with you, they're really ridiculous and uh, unsettling, if you will, because when you watch in a game, you see a flow of the game, and all of a sudden you have an interruption of a penalty over a penalty over a penalty. It gets, it gets mind-blowing sometimes. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. So there's a possibility the Utes are going to play uh, in the middle of the afternoon a week yeah. from Saturday, and there's a possibility yeah. they're going to play at night. And I think we right. all assume that if Utah and or UCLA loses, they're going to get that 8.30 kickoff, which makes everyone cringe. So UCLA, are they going to hold up their end of the bargain? What are they going to do at home against uh, Oregon? That's uh, ABC 1.30 Saturday afternoon. Obviously, the coach against his old team and all that, but huge repercussions for both the North and South races. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Oregon finally... I saw a little bit of a rhythm with them the last game I watched, and they, 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 I think they got it. Look, they're, they're nowhere near perfect, but they're, they're still a, a solid team, even amongst the injuries. I think Oregon's going to find a way to get it together. I think Oregon gets the UCLA this week.
Wow, you do, huh? Yeah. That's uh, that'll be a shot in the arm for them. It's it's funny because we go every week. Oh, okay. Who's the favorite in the so- north? Who's the favorite in the south? Yeah. And it almost like changes every week. But and isn't that great, though? I mean, don't you? I, I suppose. I yeah. Do. Yeah. It's I fun. Do. I, I love the fact that it's not. It's not top-heavy like so many other divisions yeah, and conferences okay. in football. You've got competition, and you can see that. You can see the fact that these these guys go out there and they play. They play hard, and there there are times where you know it's a complete surprise. I love that about the Pac-12. That's one of the things I appreciate most in covering it. There is top to bottom. There's competition. But if Oregon wins this game, then we reinstall them as the favorite. The yeah. way I look at it. Do you really think we're going to have the same old, same old in all these conference champions? Because in the ACC, Clemson, who's got a, a good run, is now chasing Wake Forest and NC State in their division. Oklahoma's undefeated, but so is Oklahoma State. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State uh, are all undefeated in, pack, in Big Ten play. Uh, Alabama has a loss and Georgia doesn't. I mean, could we have all brand new champions after years of the same schools repeating? That would be refreshing because you won't be looking at the same thing. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind what I said, you know, Oregon's going to win this game. I still think Oregon State can beat them. I think Oregon State has a wherewithal to beat Oregon. So if it comes down to the north side and those two teams are in uh, qualifying, um, then then I, I I think it'll be a, it'll be a new champion uh, possibly. And again, Utah, who's been there and done it before, hasn't necessarily been favored or thought of. It would be a great year for Utah to come out uh, of the South, especially when you look at the way UCLA is playing and, and the fact that they just overcame ASU, who's been one of their normal nemesis for quite some time. Well, Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game this week, and we will talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, guys. I'm hoping I get more screens and draws so I can celebrate again with you next week. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. back, Back when I covered a lot of high school football, and I used to say, first play of the game, every team should run a screen because the kids are so amped up, right? And it's, it's you know, the boys of fall. It's something that we all know about. Even if you didn't play, you still know about it. And those linemen, and you'd probably have safety sprinting up. I got a shot at the quarterback. <laughs> I always thought at the high school level, they should run that play about 10 times a game. Do it. I'm all for it. And there's something that Lincoln said that I agree with, but it's the reason why we need to change in college football with the conferences. All right, we'll get to that coming up. Uh, Raiders and Eagles, 2 o'clock on Fox. I don't know if Fox is carrying that game here or not, but you'll hear it right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's another Pac-12 road trip for Utah as Kyle Whittingham and the Utes head to the Pacific Northwest to battle Oregon State in Corvallis. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. 
Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone reminding you. Football Fridays. we got another one coming up tomorrow. We'll be talking football all day long, and it's brought to you by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Yeah, we have those about once a week, don't we, in the fall? That's how it works. Yeah, okay. That's good. Uh, although, I, I don't know why we only have to one, have one Friday a week when you think about it. Wouldn't it be better if we had two or three? Well, if we get two or three Saturdays and two or three Sundays. People are in favor of more weekends. Yeah. It's a joke. We got to get to Joe Ingles here in a second, but you had a point about Lincoln. And well, he's talking about how exciting conference races are. Right. And they really are. Even if they're not on a national level, mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like the Pac-12 is going to be on a national level, it's still very exciting, which is why I think they need to absolutely do away with the divisions. Yeah, I think that's coming. Have more teams be possibly in it because like if you're if you've got one loss you just control their own destiny as they say but if you've got one loss you could potentially or two losses be potentially be out of it it's like adding the wild card in baseball more teams are in it longer even if they're not really they think they are their fan base thinks they are so it's the same principle here so you could potentially get that second spot, and it doesn't matter what division you're in with a, a loss or two more than somebody who goes undefeated or only has one loss. So also, for excitement, I think, isn't yeah. it more? Uh, it can be, and I think that you know there's a chance where the top two teams are in the same division. Or kind of end excitement. A Dodgers Giants yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and rare, so by getting yeah. rid of the division, you get rid of that. Sure, that's uh, another Benny. All right, DJ PK coming up next, Joe Ingles. He's next. Stay with us.